Hello and welcome. This is a podcast of ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolko, editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. On September 7th, uh, one year uh, has passed since the big exchange of prisoners between Ukraine and Russia, 35 or 35. Many well-known prisoners like Oleg Sensov or Alexander Kolchenko came back to Ukraine, but many are still in Russian or Crimean prisons. What is happening with them and how we can help them? We will discuss this issue with, with Oleksandr Matvichuk, head of board of Center for Civil Liberties, a famous Ukrainian human rights organization. Good afternoon, Oleksandr. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Volodymyr. My first question would be, so we are we are focusing on these people who came back, but there are so many who are still in Russian prisons or in Crimea. Can we understand how many of them are still in prisons? When we speak about prisoners of Kremlin, we speak at least uh, about two categories of people. The first categories of people is people who illegally imprisoned for political motive in Russia and occupied Crimea. Uh, in our list, uh, there are more than 100 such kind of people. And the problem is that our list is always increasing. For example, in June, the three more Crimean Tatars were arrested in occupied peninsula. But there are uh, the also second category. It's category of people who are legally imprisoned in the occupied part of Donbass. It's uh, mostly civilians, uh, women, children, men. It's uh, civilian hostages. And the problem is that the real number of, of the imprisoned people are hidden from publicity, from international organization, and from human rights defender. So we know that at least several hundreds of people are uh, illegally detained in occupied Donbass, but it's only the top of iceberg. When we talk about these people, I, I would uh, advise our international audience to check the website of uh, Center for Civil Liberties, but also website Let My People Go, Let My People Go uh, or UA, which is a website in English, uh, which provides the information about about these prisoners. But uh, let me ask, Alexandra, we are we're talking the, uh, very often about Crimean Tatars, obviously, who are basically uh, deprived of their rights in the occupied Crimea. And when I read their stories, I understand that many of them are linked with the, with the organization called Crimean Solidarity, for example, or many of them are linked to this case of... Uh, uh, the organization Hizbut Tahrir, which is believed in Russia to be a terrorist organization, although it was legal in Ukraine during the illegal annexation. Can you tell me more about this Crimean Tatar issue? Mm -hmm. When uh, Russia's occupied peninsula, uh, a lot of human rights defenders, independent journalists and civil activists uh, uh, had to forcibly left peninsula because of the real threat to their liberty and even life. Uh, that's why uh, people who live in peninsula uh, have to take the obligation to fulfill human rights work and journalist work to their own shoulder. And Crimean Solidarity, its union, which were created by, by relatives of political prisoners, uh, who start to fulfill this humanitarian function. 
they go to to the searches and uh, try to inform uh, world about what's going on. Uh, they film the process of the searches. They made uh, articles about it. Uh, they go to uh, court hearings and uh, report and monitor about human rights violation. Uh, they try to uh, help uh, the relatives of people who were deprived of uh, a uh, person who take care uh, and responsibility uh, about family. And only for this uh, humanitarian, human rights and journalist work, they become one of the main target of occupied power in peninsula. And what the occupied power do? Uh, in Russia, uh, there is a list of terrorist organizations, and Hezbut Tahrir uh, was put in this list. I must admit that in Ukraine, uh, this organization fulfills freely, and there are no accidents which can sh tell us that the members of this organization uh, try to organize or plan some violent action. But the people who were arrested, they, they, there is no evidence that they are member of Hezbollah Tahrir. So they use this um, label of uh, terrorist. Uh, and mark Crimean Tatar uh, mostly because uh, they not uh, agree with the uh, occupation policy. For example, last year, in end of March, uh, where uh, were a wave of uh, uh, searchers and detainees, and one two days, twenty four people uh, Crimean Tatar were detained, and then. Uh, further, they were accused uh, that they belonged to Hezbollah Tahrir. 70 uh, people of these 24 were members of civil solidarity, uh, sorry, Crimean solidarity. So it was an attempt to ruin Crimean solidarity at all. It's important, I think, to, to follow these stories because uh, it's indeed the, the sign how just a human rights defending work in Crimea can be dangerous and can be dangerous in Russia as a whole. Let me also say to our listeners that this podcast is recorded in the framework of a project implemented by Internews Ukraine with support of Ukrainian Cultural Foundation in cooperation with the Center for Civil Liberties and other partners. And it is important that we are um, we are basically forming part of the global Prisoner's Voice campaign, which aims to draw the world's attention to Ukrainian political prisoners who have been or still in Russian prisons or in Crimean prisons, and to the Russian Federation's violation uh, of international human rights law. Just a little disclaimer that, of course, the position of the Ukrainian Cultural Foundation may not coincide with the opinions expressed in this podcast. But let me come back to this campaign, Prisoner's Voice, hashtag Prisoner's Voice, which is a big campaign organized by Center for Civil Liberties and Alexander Matvichuk is one of the voices of this campaign. Why we need this campaign and, and what do can people do within this campaign? It's our second campaign, which we launched uh, in order to, to release political prisoners in Crimea and Russia, as well as uh, uh, hostages in occupied Donbass. The first uh, you mentioned before, it Let My People Go campaign. We try to inform what's going on uh, with uh, these cases, uh, uh, how, how this uh, 
policy of Russia Federation ruin the life of uh, ordinary people uh, or uh, stopped uh, the nonviolent uh, activity of human rights defenders or journalists. And this campaign, Prisoner's Voice, is unique uh, and differ from Let My People Go because it provides ordinary people around the globe an opportunity to join to collective action. Uh, For current moment, we start a petition uh, which uh, devoted the problem of uh, COVID-19 and the negative impact of this disease uh, to the prisoners of Kremlin. Because uh, we we can easily understand that places where the political prisoners are detained have a huge risk for spread of infection. Uh, People who detained, they can't fulfill recommendation uh, for protection against coronavirus. They can't even wash their hands as as regularly as they need. And uh, health services in this uh, uh, detention center and prisons are very poor. They can't cure even the simplest disease. Uh, so when we speak about such kind of challenge that is COVID-19, it's a real danger for such kind of group. And we um, want uh, to fulfill the recommendation of uh, Prisoner's Voice campaign. And for current moment, we have uh, 10,000 of people who join to petition and we try uh, to to be heard uh, by international organizations and leaders, uh, governments uh, of the world, uh, which which uh, which are democratic governments. I think it's important uh, to understand that uh, all those we are talking about, hundred people in Russia and several hundreds in occupied or well, Russia in Crimea because we consider Crimea, of course, as Ukrainian territory, but also several hundred uh, people in occupied Donbass. But it's important to... Uh, it's it's impossible to name oh, everybody, but it's impossible uh, important to remind uh, the names. And I will, as as a, as an anchorman, I will try to remind some my names. It's Ihor Kiyashko, it's Riza Izetov, it's Andriy Zahtey, uh, Yashar Moedinov, uh, Nariman Mamademinov, uh, uh, Riza Umerov. Uh, Alexander Marchenko and Rustem Ismailov and, and many others. I will remind also the other name uh, later. But when I read these stories and your organization prepared uh, many, many human stories about, for example, about the relatives, it's important to hear what the, the relatives, their husbands, their wives, their children are, t- are telling us about them. I was surprised that so many people were describing the the arrests and so often these arrests were just groundless. For example, a person, a Ukrainian, just came to Russia to do some some things and it was uh, taken by the FSB or, as you mentioned, the people from uh, Crimean Solidarity Movement, just people who were collecting evidence about their uh, their other friends or just you know there were some some people were just workers or constructors or taxi drivers is it indeed so groundless and can can we 
talk that this is one of the feature of these cases that there were sometimes there which were just taken without any even hint of the evidence. I must uh, to say that uh, all people from our list uh, are detained for fabricative criminal cases and there is no evidence in the material of the, these cases. Uh, but you um, totally right that some people are detained because of their active nonviolent activity, for example, members of Crimean Solidarity. And some people, it's um, appeared in wrong place, in wrong time, uh, as we have such kind of proverb. Uh, for example, uh, Yuri Saloshenko, uh, who were released uh, with uh, Gennady Afanasyev uh, several years ago, he, he had a private uh, visit to Moscow, and he was uh, accused that he is a spy, it was unexpectedly for him as well, because he never imagined that he can be faced with such kind of persecution. Or another example, Valentin Vahivsky, uh, who came to Crimea to the forum uh, because uh, he uh, he liked uh, plain construction and uh, he was arrested also and accused as a spy as well. Uh, or Sergei Litvinov, uh, who from Luhansk region, and in his native village, the hospital was ruined, and he uh, came to Russia in order to treat the, uh, his teeth, and were arrested and accused in very absurd uh, charge that he killed and raped uh, more than three dozen uh, women, um, and Kolomoisky paid for this uh, killing and rape, as was uh, told in accusation. And the goal was that he uh, wanted to provide a genocide of Russian-speaking uh, population. And it's an uh, absurd accusation because Sergei Litvinov, as well, Russian-speaking man, uh, but uh, he spent uh, several years uh, in prison. Even there is no evidence in this uh, um, in this um, materials, so we can say that some um, that, that the problem of this persecution is that there is no algorithm how you have to behave in order to be safe. So you you even um, not obligatory have to be a human rights defender or journalist or civil activist. You can be detained without evidence for political motives um, because uh, the regime decided that he need to show more and more spies, gangsters, um, and other people from Ukraine in order to create this image of enemy. I think it's important that you that we mention these names. You mentioned uh, Valentin Vahivsky and I, I personally consider that this is there is a problem that there are not so many names that are known to the world, for example, like it was Oleg Sentsov. And probably this makes this campaign to release other prisoners uh, even as, as much important or even more difficult. Let me also mention some names. It's Ivan Yatskin, Viktor Shur, Aider Japarov, 
Ерфан Османов, Олександр Шумков, Осман Сейтумеров, Володимир Дудка, Енвер Мамутов. So you can see that many Crimean Tatars name, let me repeat, and many Ukrainian names. But when I read uh, your reports and the accounts of the uh, relatives, I also find very often the accounts of the tortures that were applied to them. Is it true that many of those people were, were victims of torture by Russian security forces? Especially when we speak about people who who deprived their liberties in occupied part of Donbas, we have to say that torture and ill treatment is very widespread. I personally spoke with uh, several hundreds of people, uh, people who were beaten, who were raped, smashed into wooden boxes, uh, whose fingers were cut, uh, whose eyes were pulled out with spoons. So it's really horrible stories. And um, uh, in majority cases, uh, when we speak about Donbass, uh, people um, spend it months and years in conditions which, in fact, is torture because they are deprived of sleep, of water, of food, and um, they, they are captured and detained in basement or without daily light, without fresh uh, air. And it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable stories, I must admit. And uh, maybe that's why we start our international campaign, because when you... Uh, wrote down these testimonies and sent it to international organization, to Council of Europe, to special reporters of UN or to International Criminal Court. It's um, and nothing changed. Uh, it's um, provided a huge frustration, and you want to stop this practice. But when we speak about Russia and Crimea uh, as well, uh, we documented. Uh, a lot of cases of torture and, and, and ill-treatment uh, to imprisoned people. Uh, for example, very widespread the using of electricity shocks um, in order to, to uh, push people uh, to sign some papers or to provide some false testimonies. These are horrible stories, and of course, uh, the more horrible is to understand that uh, they are applied now, today, in 21st century, to people who are who can be around us and who were around us. Let me ask about a very difficult political question, uh, because, of course, the release of prisoners was one of the priorities of President Zelensky, and we, we have seen uh, several exchanges, mutual exchanges, but we understand, and, and it is very good, and Ukrainians were very happy, of course, that Many Ukrainians came back, but it is uh, at the same time a, a point of a blackmail by by Russia because it seems that it is trying to play on this, to play on this readiness of Zelensky to continue the negotiation process and to bring these people back. How to avoid this track, a trap and what the international community can do what people around the world can do more to to bring these people back, not in the form of artificial exchange, but just bring these people back? It's a very uh, complex question. I try to answer in 
and uh, I have several remarks uh, on it. The first, we have to understand that Russia used uh, this imprisoned people for, uh, for in order to achieve three goals. The first goals, they create, uh, as I told before, this image of enemy, because they use uh, uh, these uh, cases as a tool in informational war, um, especially against uh, their own population, because they have to explain that they are right, and they have to um, provide some legacy for their uh, war in Donbass. And that's why they show this so-called spies and other um, political prisoners, uh, like terrorists, um, name them, them terrorists, uh, extremists, and shows uh, like an enemy and look, uh, you ha- we have to do something with, with it because these Ukrainians are evil and they even go to Russia to uh, prepare some bad things. Uh, second, uh, it's tactics of the war. Uh, because when you use this repression and this uh, terror against civilians, it's push the active minority to leave this territory and uh, provide and uh, provide a signal to passive majority that they have to keep calm, keep silence, in order not to in order not to be punished. And third goal is that Russia don't need uh, exchange people for people. They need exchange people for some geopolitical goals. And that's why they, they ask um, Ukraine uh, like a condition for exchange uh, to change constitution, uh, to um, uh, bring back uh, the, the main witness of, uh, of this uh, tragedy of MH17 Semach, um, the uh, five uh, Berkuts uh, who accused that they killed people d- during this uh, winter days on Maidan, etc., etc. And um, we have to understand that for Ukraine, uh, this um, uh, war reality is continue only for six, seven years, but for Russia much longer, and they have experience of exchange hostages during uh, other uh, conflict or even their own Chechen war on their territory. And second, what I want to emphasize, that when Ukrainian side provides such kind of negotiation, Ukrainian side has to understand that they are responsible not only for lives of people who... uh, recent, uh, who detained for current moment, but for people who will be detained tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. Because we can imagine that something happens and Ukraine provides some some huge political compromise and Putin provides an order and release uh, 100 political prisoners. There is no problem for Russia next day to arrest twice more people. In occupied territory of Crimea and Donbass uh, lives uh, five and a half million of people. And nobody of these people are guaranteed to be safe. 
And let's not forget that there are many uh, labor migrants, Ukrainian labor migrants, who go to Russia, and of course they're very vulnerable as well. Let me remind that uh, we are talking with Alexandra Matvichuk, head of board of Center for Civil Liberties, a famous Ukrainian human rights organization. And this podcast is recorded in the framework of a project implemented implemented by Internews Ukraine with the support of Ukrainian Cultural Foundation in cooperation with the Center for Civil Liberties and other partners. The project is part of the Global Prisoner's Voice campaign, which aims to draw the world's attention to Ukrainian political prisoners who have been or are still in Russian prisons and to the Russian Federation's violation of international human rights law. When we talk about Ukrainian political prisoners, we obviously mention also ethnic Ukrainians, ethnic Russians, ethnic Crimean Tatars, and people of uh, many other ethnicities. I also continue reading the names of the prisoners. Of course, we cannot uh, enumerate everybody, but at least some people. Eldar Kantemirov, Gennady Lemeshko, Server Mustafaev, Alim Karimov, Remzi Bekirov, Valentin Vehivsky, Arsen Abhairov, and many others. Alexandra, let me ask uh, what you think, what ordinary people around the world can do about it? What, what gesture they can, they can do about these prisoners, maybe to talk to them, to write letters to them? What do you think? Yes, I think that the first step uh, is uh, uh, to write a letter. And it's very simple action, but provide a huge assistance to people who are in captivity. I remember when I personally myself uh, received a letter from Yuri Stoloshenko, I mentioned about his story before, and he wrote uh, that when he received my letter, uh, he was without, um, he has problem with ISIS and was without uh, uh, special facilities uh, to, to read uh, the books and other texts. And he tried to put uh, my letter to the window and on the light uh, to uh, understand what I wrote to him. So he told that it was so super important for him to receive a letter on this moment, and he was extremely grateful. Also, if you want to do something um, on a regular basis, I ask you to subscribe on Facebook or Twitter uh, Prisoner's Voice campaign because we always organize uh, different actions um, and a lot of uh, actions of urgent uh, assistance. For example, uh, when some of um, prisoners, Uzair Abdullayev, was deprived of medical care and had a lot problem uh, with his uh, health um, we organize uh, the marathon of letters uh, in, in order to push Russian authorities uh, to provide such kind of medical care. And only because uh, we mobilize uh, several hundreds of people, um, we achieve our goals. So we will be glad if uh, people around the world will take part in the campaign and become the voice of prisoners. 
Let me also remind that many of, of the people detained uh, have their families. And of course, if we talk about Crimean Tatar families, usually they have many children. And these children are, uh, are continuing their life without fathers. And there are also tragic events. We all remember on late July this year, Musa Suleimanov, a three-year-old child, uh, disappeared from the playground near his house and then he was found dead. Uh, he, he is the son of Ruslan Soleimanov, Crimean Solidarity civic journalist, who was detained in, in March. We don't know whether it was a murder um, or uh, an accident, but it, it is very. It, it just looks like like a murder. I don't want to make any judgments around it, but I think it is very important, really, to draw attention to the families, to the to to, to wives, to sisters, to children who are staying without the the closest ones. Yes, and um, for them, because I always in touch with relatives of political prisoners, relatives of hostages, it's very important that people uh, don't forget about their pain. And I think that the main threat uh, in, in this situation is uh, that people starting, uh, will start to get used to this situation. So they start to imagine that Okay, it's bad, but it's our reality that hundreds of people are in Russian prison or in Donbass basement and start uh, to form the attitude like that it's norm. It's not a norm. It's, um, we um, need to, uh, to uh, treat the situation as unjust situation. We treat, uh, we have to uh, mobilize our action. We have to manifest against it. We have uh, to help these relatives. Um, because when we continue our struggle, we have a chance to release all people and to stop this practice at all. Thank you very much, Alexandra. Thank you for your words and especially, of course, for your great, great work that you are doing. Let me remind that we were talking about with Alexandra Matvichuk, head of board of the Center for Civil Liberties, a famous Ukrainian human rights organization. We were talking about the remaining prisoners of Kremlin who are still in Russian prison, uh, prisons, in Crimean prisons, or in occupied territories in Donbass. There's still hundreds, hundreds of people are still not not free. This was a Ukraine World podcast, a podcast of the website ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. Let me remind again that this podcast is recorded in the framework of a project by Internews Ukraine with the support of Ukrainian Cultural Foundation in cooperation with the Center for Civil Liberties and other partners. And this project is part of the global campaign Prisoner's Voice. Hashtag Prisoner's Voice. So you can Google it, you can find it, you can join it. There is so much work to be done. Thank you so much for listening to us, uh, to ukraineworld.org and stay with us. <laughs>